Welcome to the Father and Son Podcast, where me and my father have a conversation about anything that is on our minds, from things that interest us to questions that we might have about something. In this first episode, my father recounts to us his uh, rather traumatic experience gaining and losing money in the stock market, and what he learned from it. While I sit, listen, and try to understand, our producer is Yusuf Fahmi, and our music is recorded by Omar Fahmi. Hope you enjoy. I slit the sheet, the sheet is slit on the slit the sheet I sit. I slit the sheet, the sheet is slit on the slit the sheet I sit. Hey Yusuf. Hey Bobo, how are you doing? I'm okay. What's on your mind? Nothing. What's on yours? That's it? Nothing's on your mind? No, there is stuff, but you start with you first. Um, what's on my mind? I guess a bunch of things. Investments. How, how should I be investing my money? That's on my mind. Uh, my what I'm doing with my company or my consulting that's a lot on my mind quarantine how long is it going to last should we that's on my mind uh, using Ramadan coming up that's on my mind there's a lot of stuff on my mind what's the best way to use this time am I wasting this this quarantine time what does it mean those are all things on my mind. What do you want to talk about first? Um, what do I want to talk about first? Let's just start with what are we currently, what are we currently learning? Uh, let's. I'm learning trading. Like I started learning trading. I took a couple. I've been taking like a class. What class? Um, uh, one of your friends, Amr Jibril, who's a really smart guy and a really good investor by the looks of it he has been giving me and sadafa online classes on like the introduction to stock market how the stock market works and certain things like he was showing us the japanese uh, candlesticks and he was showing us a couple of different things that like, as an introduction to stock market because i've been interested in, in the market for a long time i've never really like looked into it but i've been interested in it for a while and now he's helping us. He's helping me, like actually starting trading. So this is a good. This is a good concept to talk about. I mean, this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Watching the markets and and watching myself respond to the markets, making the same mistakes I made twenty years ago, which is really interesting to me. You know, it just how, although I'm twenty years smarter, I. Or wiser, I, I still am making the mistake, same mistakes I made when I was twenty, around getting my emotions involved in trading, uh, trying to time the market. I I can't help myself. I'm constantly trying to time the market, buy at the low, sell at the high, and infrequently right, almost infrequently wrong. Yet I still do it, and so. The reason that I'm I've been back in the markets now is that because when I when I was not actually too too much older than you are now, 
I had made a lot of money in the market and I, I took just a couple of thousand and look and talk numbers I had basically started investing I think three to four thousand dollars I was I started working and and through trading penny stocks at that time I, I it became I think a little bit less than two hundred thousand so in I, how I, long in less than six months so you took three thousand and turned into two hundred thousand. Yeah, no, I don't want to say. Yeah, I want to say between six months and a year. I don't want to say. The first and how old were you? I was twenty. So did you sell that two hundred thousand and leave the market as a substantially richer twenty-one year old? Did you stay in and lose it all? Well, of course, if I took three thousand and made it almost two hundred thousand, what was my next step? Make that two hundred thousand to a million. And try to make as much money as yeah, possible. Yeah, exactly. And I thought I was, I thought I was invincible. You know, I, I'd made so much money so fast. And I remember I was going to college at that time, and I had a, a commodities, a professor who, who in NJIT, who was also at one point in his life a commodities trader. And I told him what I'm doing and how much money I've made, and he said to me, "Sell everything right now." sell everything right now and cash out and i told him no 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 no, that's not this is the new market this is uh the new way of trading and you're you're, in a a sense respectfully i told him he's outdated and um and i remember showing my father my portfolio just to show off how much money i made and he said can you sell it right now i told no 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 I'm, i'm trying to get to a million and so that was the stupidity of or the arrogance of of inexperience, let's just call it the arrogance of inexperience, and and so anyway, the more I experienced my first crash in two thousand, and all of that money went to nothing, you know, the, the all because I was dealing with penny stocks, all of the companies went to fractions of pennies per stock, and what was two hundred thousand became less than, well, effectively became a hundred, a couple hundred dollars, which I never sold, I just kind of kept. So you still have those. I don't even know. I'm sure. I'm sure that all of the companies went insolvent or bankrupt. And so, do you think the problem is tying emotions I, with trading? Yeah, I think that it. I, I've never gambled, but I would imagine that's what gambling, gambling kind of the, the rush of making so much money is. Yeah, I think it was a combination of whatever gambling is plus, plus seeing yeah, plus emotions plus you know this idea of day trading and. So now and, you've seen yourself after two. I'd say has it what's it been? It's been two crashes, and right now we're in the middle of an economic crisis as well as a world crisis. How could you respond next time, which might be very close? How could you respond differently to what you've done the past two times and you've done it wrong? Well, so I've worked with investment banks the majority of my life and in technology. And I know that as an individual investor, we have a fraction of the information that these either hedge funds have or investment banks have. So we're ready behind the curve. And so... Or, or it's, a, it's much more difficult for us to make a lot of money. So what I'm trying to say is that becoming a day trader, which is what you're trying to do, you're trying to become a day trader, trade every single day and make money that way, 
is is very very hard as an individual investor it's you know to take a, a gambling quote it's very hard to beat the house mm-hmm. the and stock so, the, the the it's all it's against you the game is against the you. game is rigged against you right and if you read flash boys by michael lewis you'll see how one of the ways it's rigged against you and 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 so I already know the answer, but the answer is boring. It's boring for me, and it's going to be boring for you. And the answer is buy ETFs or buy the S&P 500. And what's an ETF? It's an exchange-traded fund. Basically, the S&P 500 is an index that tells you the performance. There's many ways to mark the performance of the market. S&P 500 is one of them. And so... And it's just the lar- the 500 largest companies uh, by market valuation. Just just think of it, the 500 biggest companies. And the S&P 500 tells you how much they're all worth. And so what you could do is you could buy something like VOO. It's, a, it's an ETF mm-hmm. that buys all of the stocks in S&P 500. So what you're effectively betting on is that over a long enough period of time, if you if you if you zoom out on the S and P five hundred, you zoom out on the market as a whole, you're going to see that it's going up. Okay. So the the smart money says we are not smart enough to day trade. We don't have insider. I don't want to say insider information because that's illegal, but it's not over a long enough period of time we're going to lose our money. Mm-hmm. But the market isn't. The market is going to stay. At least the U S market. And so you should just buy an ETF that buys those 500 biggest companies and consistently put money every single month, whether it's going up or don't even try to time it. And just every month put earmark a certain amount of money to buy those ETFs over a long enough period of time. That's the way you win in the stock market. So you're saying for people like us, the little guy, the key is not to trade, but to invest. Because if we try to trade and time the market, there's always going to be guys with hundreds of times more information than us, and we can't even attempt to be like them. So we have to trade. We have to invest our money and just leave it over time. Yeah, and one of the interesting thing is is that the majority of big investment banks don't even really trade their own money. Hedge funds do that. Hedge funds make bets. The large investment banks very rarely make bets on the market to that extent. Uh, they buy and sell on behalf of people. They create products and sell it to people. It's the hedge funds, things like Bridgewater Capital, Ray Dalio. They're the ones who take big bets on the market. And and a lot of times, or for some of them, it works. Like during this whole coronavirus thing, Bill Ackerman, uh, he 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 runs a hedge fund. He took a two, I think it was a hundred or two hundred million dollar bet, and and the bet was right. And he, I think, converted that 100, 200 million to 2.4 billion. Uh, but we don't have, or at least I don't have the information or the, the technology and tooling that they have to be able to make money like that over the long term. Or in the case of, uh, in the case of uh, Ray Dalio, it's not so much about technology and tooling for him as much as he has hired some of the smartest people mm-hmm. on the street and he create he creates a culture that's actually pretty amazing he created a culture that allows the smartest idea to come to the fore 
even though Ray Dalio is a billionaire and he's considered one of the smartest uh, guys on Wall Street, he's almost created an environment where ego doesn't matter. If his idea is not the best, it'll get shot down. Because he does not worry about Ray Dalio looking good. All he cares about is... The hedge fund making money and performing. It exactly. doesn't matter if he looks good. He does, Yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter if he looks good, he sounds good. He, all he cares about is the right idea coming to the fore. So I am neither Ray Dalio or some of the incredibly sophisticated uh, folks. Or there are, there are outliers like... Um, Michael Burry, the the guy who saw the 2008 crash before it happened. The doctor, right? The doctor, the radiologist. And so, but, so I know all of these facts. I know all of these things, right? So I'm not as smart as Michael Burry. I don't have the smartest people like Ray Dalio, nor do I have the, the technology, you know, algorithmic trading technology like some of the other very technical hedge funds. Um, so I should just do the non-sexy thing and just invest in ETFs and leave it over a long period of time. But you know what the problem with that is? What? What do you think the problem with that is? You get scared. You don't see the long term. No, it's, see... it's just boring. <laughs> so that's where my human nature comes in. I'm like, you know what? Let me just try to time the market. And the problem is, is that for example, I'll, I'll give you some. I'll tell you something, right? I and sometimes right and you remember the times you're right and you forget the times you're wrong that's again human nature that's why cognitive biases and human nature is is against us sometimes it's for us and sometimes it's against us i'll give you an example so you mentioned the crash of 2000 and then so that burned me so i didn't finish the story i not only ended up with nothing i also ended up with a thirty thousand dollar tax bill so you can so of my initial three thousand dollar investment, I I ended up having to pay thirty thousand dollars in taxes, and for we can talk about why later. And then on top of that, two thousand eight, I was in the middle. So I worked for Merrill Lynch as that huge crash was happening. And if you remember, we had moved to New York. Yeah, yeah I remember. So we moved to New York. You were, you were like, I think I forgot how old you. I think you were two years old or something like that. I don't remember. I how. just remember T. Oh, I just remember the T. The T, exactly. So we moved to Manhattan to work on something in Merrill Lynch, like a derivatives trading project. And I remember hearing the news and we're staying in a corporate apartment and wondering if we're even going to have a job, like if the company is going to collapse because other Lehman had collapsed and there was like a domino effect that said it was going to be Lehman, then Bear Stern, then Merrill Lynch, then was it something than JP Morgan and at the end it's gonna be Goldman Sachs and there was like this this and, and Merrill Lynch was like the next domino to fall and if it wasn't for the fact that Bank of America stepped Bank in, of America right? stepped in and they negotiated right at the last minute for Bank of America by Merrill Lynch and I remember the the trauma of am I gonna have a job or not? And so from two thousand two thousand eight I had not I had not traded. Traded. Only just put money in my four one K. I, I, I didn't even know what was happening in my 401k. I just kind of... You left it alone, let the powers that be handle it. Well, the power that be is just a computer. You put in your number and then you put in your age and your risk tolerance. and said, okay, you're, you're young enough. We're going to put in some risky stuff. And it just bought some stuff. And I just... I never even looked at it. I actually forgot my password. Mm-hmm. 
and recently about two years ago three years ago looked at my 401k looked at where it went and i was like you know what it's been 2008 it's almost 2020 and then it became 2020 like that means it's been 12 years since the crash i another crash must be about to happen okay and so this is before coronavirus or this is before coronavirus and i sat there and i was like you know I'm pretty sure a crash is going to happen. So I, I, I took me forever to find out my password for my 401k. And I logged in and I moved everything out into basically non-equity stuff. Very, very stable, close to money and cash stuff. And I did that two months before the coronavirus. Just... Just by feeling. And now, so the problem is now it reinforces what in me? That I'm a great trader and I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. I'm a great trader. I saw the crash happen before the crash. I saw, I'm, 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 I'm like Ray Dalio, right? And mm-hmm. so, and then I was like, I was like, okay, okay. And so against my better judgment, I sat there and I said, I saw the black swan event, which was coronavirus and so we all saw the black swan event right you know black swan event is from uh, Nassim Taleb where this notion of a thing that nobody could foresee Mm -hmm. this random event and so who could imagine that this global epidemic well actually somebody could manage like that movie where we watched Contagion but that's fiction but who, who can imagine and all of a sudden two things happen you know the coronavirus and then shut down the whole world all of a sudden. And the next thing was, um, so it's coronavirus. Oh, and then the oil war between Russia, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and America, right? No, it was Russia. America mediated it. Russia and Saudi Arabia. And those things happened right away. Oil price started to plummet, the coronavirus, and then all of a sudden, the market takes... That's something I don't get. What? How oil... so. The price of oil correlates how many barrels of oil are being produced, right? Yes. So the more, it's like printing money. The more money is being produced, the less the value of the money. Yeah, so. So why does the, if Russia is now making as many barrels of oil as it wants and Saudi Arabia is making as many barrels of oil as it wants, why does that, why, why, why does that, why is that a bad thing? Okay, so if you think about it. The two leading producers of oil in the world are Russia and Saudi Arabia. So from what I understand, I'm not an expert on this. I had a gentleman a gentleman agreement around how much they're going to produce. Mm-hmm. And and it's really bigger than Saudi Arabia. It's, the, it's OPEC, those, the, the, those countries, including Abu Dhabi, Saudi Arabia. But Saudi Arabia is really... Saudi Arabia is, is, is the big boy and the rest are kind of the small cousins. And so... They got into a disagreement, and I don't understand the machinations, like like why they got into a disagreement over oil prices. And so what happens is, if you think about it, they're both in order to keep prices at a certain level. They have to make they have to make sure they don't make over that amount. Yeah, it's a very very delicate game. So they they can't produce too much oil, they can't pump too much, and so. If they enter into a price war together, they're going to flood figuratively and literally the market with oil, Mm -hmm. right? They're going to just create so much oil. And they're trying to sell it for the the lowest buck. And so so what happens if there's going to be so much supply? 
and the demand is actually going down right now. Exactly. So the, the, the supply is so high, and the demand, the, the fl- the, no one's flying. No one's, no one's driving. driving. Or very few people, much less people are driving. Businesses are shut down. And so the demand is low, and the supply is skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. And so, so for people, so what happens to the price? It's just basic economics. What's going to happen to the price? The price of oil? is going to get lower and lower because now you have all this oil, supply and demand. Because now there's less demand, but a ton more supply. You have to lower your prices because now you have all this inventory that you have to get rid of. So let, let's follow. Let's follow the logic even further. Or the stories. Now you have Russia and Saudi Arabia producing so much oil. The U.S. not needing so much oil. And the U.S. itself has its own oil companies. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and so those oil companies are not going to be able to compete with those prices. Mm-hmm. So if this price war continues, what's going to happen to the U.S. oil companies? They're going to have they're going to lose. They're going to have to shut down. They're going to have to shut down. And that in the U.S. is another couple of hundred thousand people out of business. Mm-hmm. And so there is, and th- there are some who say, and it's an interesting, it's an interesting notion, let them all go out of business so that we can move away from this reliance on fossil fuels and move to uh, renewable energy, you know, accelerate the whole move to... Uh, Could that also be... Not, not people just saying let the natural order continue. Remember, we were talking about anti fragility, and yeah. that they're just saying since these companies are so fragile, why are we relying on them? And we need companies that in times like this can excel. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And, and so, this is this uh, notion of naive interventionism. So, right now, you know, we're, we're a couple of months away from the election, mm-hmm. and so. And, and unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of things that happen that are going to short-term help, help, let's say, Trump, but long-term really hurt the, the government. I mean, hurt, hurt the not the government, hurt the society. Mm-hmm. Like, to, to, what's he doing now? He's providing billions of dollars of release for the airline companies mm-hmm. and, and potentially bailouts for a whole bunch of, of companies because those companies effectively have you know many many employees he doesn't want those employees to get fired he he basically needs to keep the economy he wants to make the economy as what's the word robust robust as possible or so that he it doesn't see it's not seen that under his watch the economy collapsed so basically he is he is trying to fix a skyscraper with sticky tape yeah well yeah that's one way of looking at it and so the problem is these the measures that he's taking have very have long term impact, have a short term dopamine effect, a short term rush, rush, sugar rush, and you're seeing the stock market respond to the sugar rush. It's been it's been climbing like never before. Like I think I read something that in the pa- the past two weeks ago the cli- the the stock market had the best five days it's had since 1978. Exactly, and. That stuff like that is gonna come with the lowest market scene since. I mean, if you think, what 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 has he done? He's quantitative easing. Quantitative easing. He's printed some say six trillion. The upper end is six trillion. The lower end is two trillion. That means the cash that we have in the bank 
is worthless. Mm-hmm. And he's, interest rates are down to zero. The problem with the, all of these measures is that he's used his two major economic weapons or tools. His two major tools he's already used. He's, he's printed money and he's lowered, lowered interest rates. And so that may be well enough. Plus, let's say Corona ends in the next couple of months. Let's just say a couple of weeks, one month, two months. So he's done. he's done enough, I think, to stabilize the economy enough to probably get reelected. And I think he will get reelected. The problem is what's going to happen in the long term. Mm-hmm. And so that that is one of the reasons I've been looking at investing, is I'm thinking, like Ray Dalio, who, who I think is a really interesting character and principled man, one of the things that he says is that cash is trash. Since losing a bunch of money in the stock market, our whole retirement plan has been just keep stuff in cash. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not a smart way to invest. And so Look that, what happened to Germany in the, the uh, after the World War One. They had so much debt that they had to print as much cash as they could. And eventually the, the German currency was so worthless, people would burn it as wood. Like burn it for fire fuel because it was worth more than that. The thing that's keeping us as Americans and the dollar from from that kind of crazy inflation is that the U.S. currency is still the global safe haven. Is that a lot of people are putting their money in U.S. dollar. So that's keeping... The fact that we're still the global empire mm-hmm. is keeping our dollar powerful. Uh, and, and away from stories like that where you're, you're going to just burn the, the currency. Um, so yeah, so that's uh, so you're that, that's my story. So you, what makes you want to get invested, interested in investing? I think Warren Buffett for one, because I when I was really young, this must have been when did we live in London? What five years ago now? No, uh, three years ago. Three years ago. So I'd say five, maybe six years ago. I I read his book Snowball. This was a long time ago. I don't really remember that much, but I remember being really like inspired. Like wow, I want to do something like that. I want to be able to become a billionaire with this company. It was just a very small chance of actually happening, but I would want to do something in stocks. Like the idea of putting $10 in and then potentially coming out with a million, that's really appealing to me. And, and, and to a gambler. Yeah. <laughs> because if, like, if you look at it from... if I've always been... If I wanted to buy... Remember the, the hoverboards? Yeah. I want so like with me and you like it's never been okay. Here's a hoverboard. It's been okay. Here's a thousand dollars. Go to China and don't go to China. Go to Alibaba. Go to the factories itself and buy them. Import them into the UK. Sell them and then try to figure out a way to make profit and keep the hoverboard. So I did that, and then there was the side effects of the hoverboards exploding. So that made me lose all my business. But it was still. I think I made all your money back though. I, I gave you your money back. I still lost everything, but you got your money back, and so things like that. Like if I want, say I want to build, say I want to build a computer now, I'm not gonna ask you for two thousand dollars to build a computer. I'm gonna have to like with things like that. I have to figure out a way that I have to make my own source of income that I can uh, fund things I want to do. So if I want, I can't get a summer job. Like it's that's not really that's not really helpful in the long term. 
I need to find a way that from now I can make, I can attempt to make cash and maybe learn. And that's why I'm really interested in the stock market. I know the risk of the stock market, but I also know that if you're smart about it and you really learn and you ha- and you move away from emotions, you can potentially make money in the stock market. So you want to trade so you can make money now and buy a computer? And the experience, that's just an example, but like, I want to be able to have that experience and know so I have a potential way of making income if things don't work out and whatever I end up doing in life. So it's as a backup skill or? A backup skill, something that I, I know I can do. Now I know I can do it, but I'm comfortable with. And I think it's just a good skill to, to have a basis in, in trading. Do you want to be a billionaire? Yeah. Why? Because why not? I think that would be, if you, yeah, why, why not? Why not be a billionaire? I don't know. If, it depends what I do with that billion, those billions of dollars. I don't think, I mean, you're saying why not? I, I, don't, I don't think you can just, uh, it's not like saying, oh, why not have ice cream? I, I think the decision to be a billionaire is... I'm not like propelled, like I don't, like if I become a billionaire, that'd be cool, but I'm not, right but, now I'm not but, thinking but, I want to be a billionaire. Uh, not, okay, so it's not, it's not like you read that Warren Buffett book and you're like, you know what, I want to be a billionaire. No, I just want to have enough money to do what I want to do. And, and not have to rely on my parents to do that. I want to be able, yeah, I want to be able to rely on myself to make money. So you, you can, you can work. That's also, I'm interested in business. It doesn't just, not just the stock market. That's why I'm interested in, in being a, doing businesses, being a CEO of my own company. That that's another reason I'm very interested interested in that kind of stuff. So you want to be able. So your goal is to be self dependent. Self dependent on, in and how is it just your parents that you don't want to be dependent on, or what do you mean? Other people say I don't want to even be dependent on working for a company. I think in the long term, my goal is. To have my own thing I wouldn't want to work for a company for the rest of my life and climb a corporate ladder to some people that's fine and that's fine that's some people want to do that but to me that's not why what's wrong with uh, there's nothing wrong with it but I just don't want to work for somebody for the rest of my life I want to be able to do my own thing and if I think something's not right and just because some executives tell me to do I have to do it but I want to be able to control my own ship I want to be the captain I don't want to be some sailor but you you understand that when you when you're a sailor, it's life is a lot less stressful than when you're the captain. But there's yeah there's risks, but there's also the rewards. The cat say the captain he puts his money into into it. There is a risk that the ship ship sinks, and let's say he's bankrupt. There's also a risk that he makes it to that wherever he's going. He trades everything that he has, and he makes ten times the money he had. So there's risk in it, and I'm I'm willing to take a risk. But I don't have, but I can't, okay, I'm not saying, I don't have enough money to be like, I'm taking thousands of dollars worth of risk. I'm taking out most hundreds of dollars worth of risk. So, But for you at your age, a, hundred, a couple of hundred dollars is like a couple of hundred thousand for other people at their age. I mean, that, that's a, big, a substantial part of your net worth. <laughs> I know, but I think since I was young, the the way I value money is different than other kids. Like, I don't know, but like other people I've met my age, they... Money is just, like, my parents gave me... Like, the only money they ever made is from their parents giving them pocket money. And for me, that wasn't always... Like, that's not really the case. For me, it's 
My parents give me money, but it's not mine to spend. I have to put it into some machine, uh, some corporate machine that I build myself, like educated chocolate, and I have to make, I have to make my own money. So my idea of money is different than other people's. Like even from a young age, you'd give me th- like a th- thousands of dollars, thousands, maybe I think almost fifteen hundred to do. A, other kids would go insane. That's fifteen hundred dollars that they have, but for me, it was just a tool to get what I wanted. As much to, like to me, money is a tool. It's not a luxury. It's like if I have if I I have a, I don't know how much money I have in my room from like a business I've been doing here. Like to me, I don't look at it and go, "Yeah, I have this much money." To me, I just go look at it and see how can I make it more. Like I don't like the money I have. I'll never spend it. I'll just try to make it more until I have until I have something running that can make me money, and I I don't have to work. I just it just it's like a machine. Do you ever have a, let's say you take the, you know, the couple of hundred dollars that you have and you make it into a couple of thousand and it becomes tens of thousands. And let's just say you're 20 now and you have in your bank account $150,000, $200,000. Okay. Mm-hmm. What would you do? I think I would take... 50 and put it into like an account that's mine and the other hundred thousand i try to do something with it like i wouldn't stop like i set myself up in the short term i can like i can accept I, i'm fine i have this little like cushion but i try to make it more say i get to a million by the time i'm 30 which is i don't know that's probably not going to happen but why, why wouldn't it happen because i don't know but we have to you have to be like realistic you can't be like that's actually very realistic what? A million by the time you're 30. All right, okay, let's say I make a million by the time I'm 30. I think I would give my... I think I... I would... If I had something that I really wanted to do, I would probably give myself, let's say, at most... I'd say at most 250000 as a cushion, and then the rest of it would go in. And if if that project needed more funds, I'd give, I'd give it almost everything. So you would... You would... Your algorithm would be... You take a certain percentage to live mm-hmm. or, or to consume. Let's just say you'd have 25% of, to buy your Tesla and, all, and whatever you wanted. And 75% would go back in and to be invested. Yeah. And I think it would end that it would, I would stop having that urge to keep going once I feel... I can live not I not I don't have to, I don't want to live like a celebrity in some twelve store twelve bedroom mansion, but I can live comfortably and do the things I want without having to worry. Do I have enough money? So I can live in a studio apartment anywhere I want, and I'll be fine. I don't have to worry about my next paycheck. My ideal goal is not having to worry about. I have this mortgage. I have this car I have to pay off I have to pay for my kid I'll be fine I can pay in everything in cash I don't have to worry about going to the bank and taking out a loan and having to pay for college I'd want to be able to do everything myself and not have to depend on a company that can potentially go bankrupt and leave me without leave me out in the cold and do you plan on doing that by making a lot of money or having low expenses Low expenses. I'm not. I, I don't think. I'm like the idea. To, the idea of having a Mercedes and having a really nice house. It's it appeals to me. Like I. I wouldn't mind it, but 
at the same time, it also comes with stress that I don't think I can handle while being happy. Like, I would rather have a three-bedroom apartment and an okay Volkswagen. I think I'd be more happy than having a big house like that because big houses like that come with a lot of insecurity. You have that house. Say I go, I go out. Now you're going to worry about that car being stolen. It just comes with a lot of... It comes with a lot of... Uh, stress that isn't that that weighs out how much happiness you get from something and i think for me that's why i would stick to being low expenses i think i uh well i agree and i don't think i i i do agree with everything you said i think that was a, a good conversation i think it was good fist bump yeah all right did you enjoy this i enjoyed it a lot would you do it again yeah all right cool I'm gonna go edit it now and put the and put the uh, the uh, Cat Stevens song in there. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll see you later. Then. All right. Thank you. Welcome to the Father and Son Podcast, where me and my father have a conversation about anything that is on our minds, from things that interest us to questions that we might have about something. In this first episode, my father recounts to us his uh, rather traumatic experience gaining and losing money in the stock market, and what he learned from it. While I sit, listen, and try to understand, our producer is Yusuf Fahmi, and our music is recorded by Omar Fahmi. Hope you enjoy.